0: Please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityincaptivity.fun. This is Creativity in Captivity, I'm Pat Hazel. Today's guest is a multimedia content producer an award-winning filmmaker, a photo activist and documentarian. He's a Chinese American actor, who lifts and amplifies BIPOC communities and artists. He is the host and executive producer of an arts and entertainment lifestyle series called Backstage Pass with Leah Chang. Coming up is a multi-talented personality that shines on both sides of the camera. Stay tuned, Leah Chang.
1: That spark of electricity, a
0: skipping stone that sets you free, you're captive too. History, the curse of creativity la, 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 hi pat it's so good la, to be with you thank you it's hard to capture a person with as many interests and talents as you have it keeps life interesting i bet it does in your talent wheel what percentage of you is actor photographer documentarian what is the largest percentage of what you do
1: I would say I'm 100% storyteller, and it just depends on what medium is going to help me best tell my story.
0: That's the absolute right answer. And because I think of you that way, we met and you were a photographer. I was not aware of you being an actor, and that initially was on my Grounded for Life project, I believe, when you were candidly shooting a staged reading we had and captured all kinds of great moments, not just the singing production and backstage things and just interaction between folks. And you have a real eagle eye for catching moments. Tell me what it's like to be an observer through that lens and tell a story, I guess, through photos.
1: Well, I'd have to start at the very beginning in that my father is an amateur photographer and I've been photographed since birth. So throughout my performing arts career, I've always been documenting all of my own work. When I was working in the downtown experimental theater, I was documenting all of my colleagues and contemporaries as well. When I decided to add the photography hyphen, it, it was because in as much as I like certain aspects of my acting life and certain aspects of my fashion life, I didn't like the lack of control that we had as artists. And I didn't feel that we, as artists of color, were properly represented in the mainstream media. And I knew that I could really make a difference from behind my camera. And I'm completely self-taught. So I made an offer to all of my colleagues and contemporaries that if they had control, if they were the star, the director, the writer, the producer, and I wasn't in the show with them, that I would come and photograph, because that meant that we could, A, control the narrative, B, have images for historical purpose and editorial purposes, and C, I get to spend time with my pals. So that's how I hone my craft. So when people meet me and perhaps only know me as a photographer, because they've only seen me photographing, I tell them that I'm always an actor first because I would not be able to make the images that I do. Anytime I'm photographing, let's say your production, I'm photographing it as if I was one of the actors or the writer or the director or the producer. So my vision is through many people's eyes and many times the kinds of moments that I'm capturing it's the passion, it's the beauty, it's the artistry, it's the talent, it's the heartbeat of the artist. And that's why people allow me in. It's very intimate. So for instance, after I I added the photography hat, it was really because I thought I can gather my writers and they can write the stories. and my photos will accompany their stories. But then I realized that they didn't have the intimate access that I had. So I went about getting all these journalism fellowships to write my own stories, to accompany my own photographs. And and actually, while I was in that downtown experimental theater mode of acting, photographing, I was also shooting video as well. So I actually was shooting video before I was shooting stills in that capacity. And all of my colleagues who are some pretty big stars today, all of my colleagues wanted me to edit videos for them. And those were the days of editing on prosumer VCRs. So that got a little tiresome. I would perfect my filmic eye behind a still camera until technology caught up with me. (laughs) And that was a big thing. That's an interesting
0: moment because You were looking at composition, you were capturing relationship, you were doing the storytelling in what we would consider to be single panel at that point, but you weren't out from behind the lens and you were still present at the events.
1: And that was 1993, so we've come a long way. That's really what led to my television show. And
0: the television show is called Backstage Pass with Leah Chang, and this is a culmination of your having taken photographs and video and learning to write stories. And now you are executive producing and hosting this show where you're amplifying voices. Tell us a little bit about what people can see on any episode.
1: It's been a lifelong dream of mine since high school. When I first came to New York at 17 for a modeling convention and decided to stay, I went to the library and I looked up all the things that I was interested in, realized that if I wanted to be in television, which at the time Connie Chung was the only person on air that looked like me, that I should have stayed in my smaller market where I could actually get hands-on experience in a studio. So I didn't pursue my broadcast life, although I did go to college and major in communications and things like that. Instead, I pursued my acting life in film, TV, and theater. But in 2013, I was being interviewed at the Manhattan Neighborhood Network on an interview show for something that I was going to be appearing at the National Black Theatre Festival in. And I discovered that at the Manhattan Neighborhood Network at that time in 2013 it was all state-of-the-art equipment and that you could take production classes, editing classes, all for free. And you could become a producer and make all your own content. So I took every single class under the sun. But at that time, it was very proprietary. You had to be a Manhattan resident. Everybody who was on your crew had to have gone through the same system. And I couldn't bring in any outside content creators. Instead, I found a producing partner and we made our own films and we became award-winning filmmakers, but I always wanted to produce my own content in that capacity. And during the pandemic, when everything shut down, the Manhattan Neighborhood Network started giving online classes, little seminars, two hour seminars on a Friday, how to light your home because they realized that the content creators needed to pivot. So how to light your home for your studio, how to do a podcast, how to shoot in the field. And they opened it up to outside content. And then perhaps three months in, as things were starting to reopen and they were starting to reopen, they started giving boot camps, TV production boot camps, filmmaking boot camps, documentary boot camps. And my schedule is really crazy, but I was finally maybe Another three months later, was able to fit in a TV production boot camp. My teacher was amazing. She's also a filmmaker. And again, because of the pandemic, where normally there would have been 12 people in the class, there were only five people. So Every class, we were hands-on in the studio, in the control room, etc. And part of the boot camp was creating a three to seven minute segment. And then you were already a producer. You didn't have to wait. So I thought, of course, as an actor, do I want my own sitcom? Do I want my own drama? No. Keep it simple. This is an exercise. Why don't I just, for now, make it an extension of my blog, Backstage Pass with Leah Chang? And I had just seen a friend of mine, Eddie Lee, who was the second Asian American to play Alexander Hamilton on Broadway. And I'd photographed him in the theater. And I'm always collecting content. i videotaped him coming out of the stage door. I videotaped him signing autographs for other Asian Americans who wanted to be photographed with him. And I thought, oh my God, if he would agree to be my first interview, it would be awesome and amazing. He did. And even though it was only a three to seven minute segment, I went in so prepared because the actual show is either a 28 minute program or a 58 minute program. And I decided that I was going to push it as far as I could to get it as close to 28 minutes so that I could have my first show.
0: I went to your YouTube channel and I watched your interview with Eddie and I thought it was really extraordinary on many levels for both of you because he was a Broadway swing. This is somebody who studies all the different roles and he gets tapped to play Alexander Hamilton, not just as a Chinese American, but I mean, for anybody to get that to happen to them and to lead the Broadway cast of Lin-Manuel Miranda's show, if there isn't a more glorious sense of of casting broadly for talent and being able to tell story with voices that are uh, from all parts of the world. And so that was a really unique thing. You, I could see in that interview His enthusiasm, and I could see when he was signing autographs backstage and when he was with that little Chinese boy that had a a costume on from Hamilton, that this is the things that dreams are made of for many generations.
1: And not just Asian Americans. I thought his story was so extraordinary. He auditioned 11 times. I thought that that his story was so universal. It didn't just speak to the dreams of an Asian American wanting to be on Broadway. It spoke to anybody who wanted to know how to audition for a Broadway show, and that you have to have a lot of tenacity. (laughs) You can have all the talent in the world, but you have to have a lot of tenacity to really stick to it. And especially the story with his mom. Eddie went on to go be in K-pop, and I got to meet his mom after one of the performances. She was so sweet. She actually said to him, I saw this interview. It's the best one I've ever seen of you. And it was our interview together, and then he looked at me and said, as if she didn't know that it was as if I hadn't done it. <laughs> but that that was that was a real compliment yeah. coming from a mom who knows his son best. And also a Chinese American mom. It's not that they don't want their children to be any kind of artists. They're afraid They won't be able to support themselves so her acceptance on so many levels it was i just thought his his was the story that i wanted to put forth
0: well and you did a great job because as you said he went from an open call which means you're essentially not represented by an agent to go through a year's worth of all of those auditions and then subsequently you're waiting all the time in between they're just sort of wondering if they're gonna beef up their cast. And sometimes they're looking for new roles. The hardest part, and you can speak to this as an actor, but the hardest part in the early stages of your career are dealing with the times you don't get something. Even though they're looking at hundreds of people or thousands of people, you always think I didn't do something. I didn't bring something to the party.
1: Actually, I don't look at it like that. I look at it as an actor. Your job is to audition and have the most fun and then go home and forget about it and move on to the next beat. Let me tell you, you asked me at the the beginning, you asked me a question about all the things that I do. If I were only an actor, I might be that person, but because I have so many different things going on in my life, different worlds, and the thing I love the most is bringing all of my worlds together.
0: I will say it's very, very hard for an actor only Not to look like I didn't get that. Oftentimes, that affects how you go to an audition. Yeah. You need it. You're so desperate that I need to get this part that you actually aren't focused on the audition. You're focused on getting the win. But I do believe that every audition is is the job you do, and it does lead to other things. Because those casting directors, if you're good, if you do a good job, but you're not right... They're looking for you for the next
1: one. If there's a casting person and not an open call, the casting person has called you in because they want you to get the job. (laughs) They don't want to waste your time. They don't want to waste their time. They actually want you to get the job. So I've spoken to several people because certainly I have many colleagues who are actors, friends, and many of the more successful people were the people who changed their mindset who realized that it, if you only went in going, I need this, I want this, I have to have this, as opposed to how is this enriching my life and what am I learning from it? What is it going, where is it going to take me next? I came to New York. I was modeling. I was one of the top petite runway models in the tri-state area. And I was Liz Claiborne's inaugural showroom model for many years. That was my survival job, if you will. And then I would go and do acting in film, television, and theater, but I just never looked at it that way.
0: And as you said, you brought all of your interests together because one thing you are amazing at is that you do amplify voices and projects and ideas and for BIPOC communities, but for everybody that you get involved with, because I will say you were an early booster of this podcast when we first put it out. You and I had had a couple of photo shoots over the years right and you wrote a blog on it and i'll tell you what people look at that stuff and they test it out it's the little engine that could just having those little bits of exposure and having people talk about things that lead to uh, interest casting amplification in all sorts of ways and i know that there's been many a time that you've drawn my eye to a story i would not have noticed if i didn't see it in your blog and see awards being given or something that i oh I, i should look that up and so I feel like that's something that you're really extraordinary at. I consider you to be a lighthouse as well as everything else because you do, you shine a
1: light on. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. I'm going to take that.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm not saying that you're always looking for people in distress floating in the sea, but I am saying (laughs) that you do know how to shine a light on something that's worth looking at.
1: Well, I'd love to give you a really wonderful example of that, that I got to do for the Manhattan Neighborhood Network. One of my episodes for the Lunar New Year wasn't uploaded properly. And when I talked to the programmer, she we talked about how much Lunar New Year content there had been. Then they also told me that they often have special themed shows. And I said, oh, you mean, because at that point it was February, you mean like Black History Month? She goes, yes, we're going to have a special celebrating Black women in the arts. And because my African American theatrical community knows me as an actor first and very happy for me to be their photographer as well. I said to the programmer, have I got black women in the arts for you? So that episode included gospel four-time Grammy winner, Twinkie Clark in concert at town hall. It had Tony Ward winning actor, Lashans, who is also a producer. Um, receiving award from the Broadway Inspirational Voices. It had the Billy Holiday Theater celebrating 50 years. You had Sharon D. Clark and Wendell Pierce who were recently in Death of a Salesman with Andre DeShields getting their Stardis portraits. It had Lilius White who is currently playing Mrs. Hermes in Hades Town getting her Sardis portrait. So it was really an extraordinary what a what a wonderful way for me to be able to put all my favorite people in one episode. I didn't I don't have to be African American to do a special on black women in the arts. They're all my friends, colleagues, and that's what I really look at because remember when I made this decision to add the it and to purposely concentrate on my colleagues, it wasn't. Talent has no color boundaries. Yes, we have been underrepresented and that's why there is a particular focus on Asian-Americans or African-Americans or Latinx, et cetera. However, you really just have to be in my world. You are in my world, which is why. You got all the coverage that you got because I saw your show. I liked your show. I like you. I like what you do.
0: I am grateful for it, but I will say that you are very mindful of the BIPOC community and things like this year's Oscars in 2023. We saw. We saw how do you feel about it? How do you feel about it?
1: I wept honestly every time. Each one of them kept winning at all the different award shows. I kept crying. Certainly, Ki Kwan crying, crying, crying. He's crying at everything. We're all crying. Yes. His speech was great,
0: too. His speech
1: was I, so good. I'd great. say it's about it's about goddamn time. <laughs> That's what I have to say. Everything, Everywhere,
0: All at Once brought a lot of winners in that particular film as well as in some other some other folks
1: there were two indians so you had the song yeah for
0: rrr you see that movie no okay it is it's action crazy fun it's an indian film that is pushes the envelopes of all kinds of production and it's just like popular fare but i i found myself delayed in seeing it my son tucker's quite a uh, advocate of films and watches all kinds of things. And he's like, dad, you gotta watch this movie. And I and I waited, and I waited a little too long to join the party. When I did, I it was just a thrill ride. It's unfortunate that it only got a best song. Right. But so many times, a specific, in that case, Daniel Kwan being a writer, director, producer, many awards are garnished by the same film. Right. And those are the same people that are casting and supporting Michelle and, you know, the various people who won. And it would be great if it were more across the medium as opposed to surges of one film at a time.
1: Well, well, let's take that back a minute. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once won seven Oscars. Then you had two Indian or South Asian because you had the documentary category. Then you had...
0: to Judy Chin was makeup.
1: And I know her from my theater days here in New York. But then you also, while well, she didn't win, you had Hong Chao being nominated. You had Stephanie Chu being nominated. So it was really extraordinary. And I know that for me and my colleagues, it's game changing. But yeah. quite honestly, it's something that I've striven for all of my life. I grew up in San Francisco. And when I tell people who visit New York that I grew up in San Francisco, they say, oh, I love San Francisco. It's my favorite city. Well, it's very provincial. And when I grew up there, even though for me, I feel that it's like the most Asian American of all cities, I didn't see myself at the library. So the idea that today, through my images, Being in the Library of Congress, I have a collection at the Library of Congress, and I have a collection, the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts, the Billy Rose Division. Future generations now and future generations don't have to worry about not being represented. That is the whole reason why I do this part of my work that I do.
0: Well, I applaud you for it. And I I guess I would say out loud that we have to be careful that progress does not lead to complacency by people who say, oh, since you have something there, I don't have to do it. Now we have to put our foot on the gas pedal to have more people doing it. I guess that's what I was saying about the leadership of films is that in a year that Ang Lee wins, he's a big supporter and caster in that area. As as we just talked about Lin-Manuel Miranda, the work he does is work for everyone. And that work is leading to, because not only is there a Broadway cast, there are touring casts, and there are, this is like the number one... Right ticket to get in touring theater and certainly a job that many people can go from one cast to another and make a living for a change.
1: Right. So there is an extraordinary production of Stephen Sondheim's Pacific Overtures that's currently playing in Arlington, Virginia. It's cool on many levels. First of all, it's not something that's produced very often. Ethan Heard, the director and musical stager of Pacific Overtures at Signature Theater Company is also the associate artistic director of Signature Theater Company and the highest ranking BIPOC staff member which means he has a seat at the table to make a difference for all of us number 1 number 2 he has never cuz I when I went I went to the opening night on the 15th, I know three quarters of the cast members are my colleagues and friends, family members, my theater family members. So I went for their opening on the 15th and I had a chance to interview Ethan for my show. People can watch my interview on Backstage Pass with Leah Chang and it was extraordinary because he talks about being half Chinese and never having worked with an all Asian or Asian American cast, and knowing the importance of bringing in all of the specific cultural consultants. So he took great care in terms of the cultural sensitivity and even spoke to the fact that As Asian-Americans, do we have the right to tell the story? We're not Japanese. Are we Japanese enough? Are we Asian enough? Because people even questioned, he he often Mm. says about him being half Chinese because he doesn't necessarily heard. You're not going to think, oh, the guy's Chinese. Like, what right does he have to tell this story? And those are the kinds of conversations that they had in the room. And the cast was so appreciative The person who is portraying the reciter is a dear friend and collaborator of mine, Jason Ma. He did 20 20 years ago, a production of Pacific Overtures. I asked him, what was it like to do it then to now? And one of the things he said is that the humanity of all of the actors really shines through. And I think that's a thing that we have to continue to do. Even to the point of my show, when I spoke to the programmers, should it be a monthly show, a bi-monthly show, a weekly program? And initially they said, you should, it should be a, a monthly program because otherwise it's a lot of stress to produce a 28-minute show every week. And I don't discount that. It's, it is a lot of work. However, I thought about the fact that I had just created an extraordinary platform for all of us to be seen in all of our beauty, talent, and colors. What, was I nuts? I'm going to give it back? I mean, I know you know this yourself, having produced many of your own projects, what it means, the importance of being able to control the narrative and control the content. In my case, it's it's slightly different.
0: I'm Croatian and I don't know enough about my heritage to be amplifying Croatia, so to be fair. But I will say this, I am an underdog in the comedy community in the stuff is generally Midwestern. It's kind of breadbasket. It is built around human foibles and the human condition. Right. And it's not sexy HBO content. <laughs> so I actually have to take it to the people. I have to go to these little jewel box theaters around the country and I got to win them over one audience at a time. It is dedication and this podcast is a tribute to it. This is not about money. This is about once a week giving a gift back to everybody who I wish had access to the kind of creative mentors and the collaborators. The worlds that you see through the eyes of your camera or on stage as an actor or touring the country, it's a unique lens we see the world through. And any little piece of advice that a kid in Topeka at a coffee shop that listens to a podcast that can make it a little bit easier for them to me is is worth shining a light on, as I say. So it's dedication.
1: I absolutely agree. And also it's not just, for me it's not just about in the arts because I actually, while I was supporting myself from my early days, not really getting to go to school as much as I wanted to because I was busy keeping the roof over my head. I really wanted to take an Asian American studies class. And instead I found myself documenting All of Asian American study and having that history. And so one of my most favorite stories is, which has nothing to do with the arts, is my Chinese American astronauts. So it was a month after my mother died, and I certainly was not in a headspace to be photographing or photographing at a party or being out in public or being social. And one of my clients, Margaret Fung, who is the executive director of the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund, invited me to a dinner put on by a magazine that was celebrating the most notable Asian Americans. And I probably knew at least 75% of the people in the room. But initially, I said to Margaret, I don't really want to go. She goes, You wouldn't, don't work, don't bring your camera, just come in, just have dinner. And I ended up sitting next to Edward Sang Lu, who is a Chinese American astronaut. And we sat, and we had a good time, and we ate, we shared each other's food, and he told me he wasn't even supposed to be at that dinner because he was supposed to be he had just come back from Kyrgyzstan. and i I had a series on Asian Pacific Americans in the workforce that was commissioned by the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance for which my mother was a San Francisco chapter president. So I said to him, "What would it take for me to come photograph you at work?" I said, I'm sure there's a lot of red tape. And he said, well, there is, but I can help you with that red tape. And a month later, I was at NASA photographing him getting into his spacesuit and going into the neutral buoyancy lab, which is the pool the size of two football fields. This was before the International Space Station was built. He had two days of of being in the Neutral Buoyancy Lab. So I just thought on the second day that I would be there going to the the touristy part of NASA. Instead, he introduced me to Leroy Chow, who is the second Chinese-American astronaut to do a spacewalk. And Leroy took me behind the scenes at NASA. And because astronauts, they learn photography because when they're up in space, they're photographing down below, I photographed him, he photographed me, I interviewed him. Leroy ended up being the commander of the International Space Station. And the next year I got invited to both of their launches. By that time, Leroy and I were even better friends, closer than Ed and and I were. So I chose to go to Leroy's launch, but also I went back to visit Leroy who at that time, he had his own plane. So he took me flying and he let me fly his plane, but the more important story is not just the fun of being with Chinese American astronauts is when I chose to write the story for Asian Week, a feature on the two of them. And then I would tell people my story. Oh, yeah, Chinese American astronauts. And I would be speaking. They would see my lips move. But they would say, oh, you mean Chinese from China? So this is the perfect example of what we talk about, which medium is better to tell the story. If I'm speaking out loud and talking about it, they're only thinking Chinese, China. They didn't hear me say Chinese American. But if you're reading an article where it says one grew up and was born and raised in Wisconsin and one was born and raised in Syracuse, you get, oh, American of Chinese descent and what an extraordinary position that i'm in that i'm able to write my own stories photograph my own stories videotape my own stories tell it tell it in an on camera capacity
0: you're proactive about these you find the story that you're interested in telling you're enthusiastic about telling it and because of it your photographs have ended up in all sorts of places the new york times and washington post and major publications from Vanity Fair to the Paris Review. And all of it is almost self-directed because you go to where your interest is and you do your best job in capturing those pictures for essentially it's photojournalism. And it's not often on assignment. You're your own boss. You're very entrepreneurial.
1: I am. Yes. And actually the Paris Review, the picture that was in the Paris Review was of Sam Shepard and Joe Chaikin. And the way that image was made was I was in a play of Sam Shepard's at the Signature Theater Company where Joe Chaikin was directing. And Joe Chaikin is Sam's mentor. And it was a revival of Chicago. And Jim Houghton, who is the founder of Signature Theater Company, knew that I was a photographer and asked Sam if it would be okay for me to photograph during rehearsal. And, and then because those photographs existed, people wanted them for the Paris Review and also the, the images have appeared in various books as well. Yeah. So it's a very circuitous route. Lucky is not the word I would use. Yeah. It's a little slightly off for being in the right place at the right time. I think it's being able to take advantage of what's in front of me or what the possibilities are.
0: You move towards the epicenter of where your interests are and then you're observant enough to see opportunity. And that's that's the part of it that is not lucky at all because many people could see the very same moment in time and see no opportunity or see no way to be involved. And I think that's right. something you and I very much have in common. So when I'm working in theaters, I'm always listening to them about missing programming. And and it's like, oh, we need a piece of content for Christmas or Valentine's Day. And I think to myself, oh, if that exists, maybe I, shouldn't, maybe I should write towards something that there's a need for. And it's not because I want to be overly commercial. It's just that I don't want to sit dormant from Thanksgiving to New Year's when my shows aren't being booked. It's because they're booking all the Christmas shows. It is a heavy lift sometimes to pick that responsibility up. I want to take you back to your very earliest debut as an actress, because I did read that you were in South Pacific with Barbara Eden and Robert Goulet, and that uh, South Pacific is a musical. So you obviously have a singing
1: voice as well. Leanne doesn't sing. She dances. <laughs> Leanne is a love interest. She's, she's fourth on the bill. Okay. That's all right. But the character was Leon and,
0: and and is a dancer, but what was it like to do that first Big production as a debut, what did that feel like?
1: That was 1986 and I had already done several films. I'd already done The Last Dragon and Big Trouble in Little China. And I had just finished shooting on Big Trouble in Little China for 20th Century Fox in LA, when I got a call from my manager saying that the person who then was playing Liat in this, it was just the beginning of the tour, had gotten a movie in The Last Emperor and that I needed to come back and and audition for this part. And I'm not a dancer, (laughs) but my manager, Jadine Wong, at the time had played many a So I came home and she took me through the dance and I auditioned. And in fact, going into the production in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, they just assumed I knew what I was doing. (laughs) And I made my stage debut in Toronto, and it was just marvelous. It was marvelous because it was Robert Goulet and Barbara Eden. The first place that we played was a three thousand seat house. This wasn't Summerstock. Toronto, Montreal, Pittsburgh, Memphis, and San Antonio—all really big houses. And I was working. My my lieutenant cable was David Carroll. Armelia McQueen played my mom. I mean, we're talking about some extraordinary Broadway veterans and, and this is who I was surrounded by. So I learned, I learned on the job, if you will. And every year, Robert Goulet and his wife Vera would send out Christmas cards and my grandfather lives in Las Vegas. So every year I would go to see my grandfather, I would also go visit Robert, Yes, Bob, Bob. So, yeah, it was it was the best way to make my stage debut.
0: I like that. Now here on the other side of your career, you have been recognized by the Prospect Theater Company with the Prospect Muse Award. You're the recipient of this award last year for your advocacy and your photography and tell me about receiving that Prospect Muse Award. How
1: much that meant to you? It meant everything in a bag of chips. <laughs> It was very funny because the person who told me that I was initially going to be honored, I had just, it was Jason. Jason Ma is currently in Pacific Overtures. He happens to be on the board of Prospect. And I had been having dinner with him the day before and went to see a, a theater production, a show by Duncan Sheik. And, and then the next day he started texting me and saying, Prospect wants to do something with you, but it has nothing to do with your photography per se. And I said, well, what is it? And he goes, they want to honor you. And I, again, I just wept. I said, what? (laughs) He goes, yeah, they want to honor you. It's extraordinary on several levels. The first is that for a theater company that is not Asian American, a theater company that has been around for 30 years, that develops new musicals to want to honor me, it's a really big deal, it's a really, really big deal. I was being honored alongside Kanita Miller and Leonard Magellan, who is a producer, but it was kind of crazy because essentially, I'm in a room with all of the people that I photograph and I'm not the one taking pictures. So very gratefully, my sister, Marissa Chang Flores is a professional photographer and my other sister, Tammy Chang, she came and ran the video, so I could be comfortable in the knowledge that i i that it would get properly documented. Additionally, I asked tony award winning actor Andre De Shields, actor and activist, who I have been collaborating with since nineteen ninety three as his personal archival photographer and his director of social media. I asked him to present to me. And I wasn't asking, you know, people many times invite him to come do things and they expect that he's going to sing or perform or whatever. I wasn't asking him to do that. And very gratefully, he took the day off from the show. And not only did he sing for me, how much do I love you, but he danced with me. (laughs) It was just, it was a very out of body experience, but I was so grateful to receive the award and to be acknowledged for essentially my life's work and to be able to bring attention to all of these wonderful artists. Jason Ma, in addition to being an actor, is also an award-winning composer, lyricist of a musical called Gold Mountain, which is based on when the Chinese were helping to build the railroad. I've been the archival photographer for them for that production since 2012. And it was definitely a musical that had gone through Prospect in terms of being developed. And it had its first fully realized production produced by the Utah Shakespeare Festival in 2021. And Ali Ewald and uh, Johnny Lee Jr., the two stars of the production, sang for me as well. So I was the only honoree who got two, two songs. <laughs> and I I believe that it was the first time so many Asian Americans definitely were at a Prospect Gala. It was just marvelous. I got that award on May 1st, which is the first day of Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And I looked at that like it was my birthday and took it through with me for the whole year. And I still I still celebrate it.
0: The award was well-deserved in, as you said, a lifetime of commitment to telling stories, your photo, journalism, activism. Uh, you're really an extraordinary person in terms of complimenting people and, and being sure that they're seen. And I really applaud you for that. I, I want to be sure that people know where they can see you by going to leachang.com or leachangphotography.com where they could see a lot of the images. And all of your episodes of Backstage Pass with Leah Chang are archived on your YouTube channel. They can watch all of the episodes of things that we've referenced in today's interview. I'm forever grateful for the beautiful images you've shot when, when we've done production. You're welcome. thanks for joining us today take a moment to subscribe and we will hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative with sound editing lovingly provided by Delilah Lovejoy our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp with additional production support and sanity provided by Tony Deo Tucker Hazel and Diane Johansson feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityincaptivity.fun. You heard that right. It's .fun because .com is just two common, and .fun is so much more fun. Ciao for now. Stare. An empty page, stepping on a ghostlit stage, a circus of uncertainty. You're called a to creativity. me la 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 la
1: la.